0: Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is in between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. Good morning. Welcome to In Between Stations Radio. Depending on what side of the world you're on. Morning, night, asleep, awake. You know, it's pretty weird when you live on a planet and you live upside down your entire life and you think you're right side up. (laughs) Depending on where you're at. Yeah, we live in this big, huge, round circle. Of course, I have some friends that think the Earth is flat and have all of the reasons as to why that is. And I'll tell you what, if I get drunk enough, it does seem flat. (laughs) No, I don't get drunk that much. I have an occasional beer. I sort of avoid alcohol for the most part. I've learned from sad experience, especially in the military, to not drink too much alcohol. Um, yeah, moving on uh murky is still asleep in her bed at her house (laughs) i'm not sure who she's with or if she's by herself murky are you listening on your shortwave radio to to our broadcast if so wake up and get in the station well i got up oh i think about five o'clock this morning Uh, it's the fourth of july by the way i guess um, I was going to make this whole broadcast about <laughs> my anti-patriotism since coming home from a war. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of my country, I guess, to some degree, but I'm not proud of some of the things we've done. I don't want to go there. So, all right. Anyway, I got up, made my one cup of coffee. I might have two this morning just to get myself going. You know, do things to get ourselves going, especially in the morning. I put my to—I pushed my toaster, and my toast went down. And uh, you know, I'm making my coffee, and just stumbling through my day. You know how it's almost like you have Alzheimer's sometimes. You're trying to get your your, uh, your body to move, to wake up. Because you know, naturally, when you're asleep, your body shuts off your your muscles. That's why we have this kind of a frigid lock we talk about. Oh my God! I woke up and I couldn't move my body. I woke up from my dream and. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, my body wouldn't move. Well, that's natural. Because if your body moves, and I've had a couple of friends that sleepwalk, pretty freaky. They have their eyes wide open and they like, you know, go in the living room and get a book. And then they put it on the table by, by your coffee table. You know, this is when I had roommates in college. And they and get all this stuff out of the living room and put it in your room, not their room. And their eyes are wide open and they're totally asleep. They don't see you. Pretty strange if somebody sleepwalks. Uh, at, so it's not healthy to be sleepwalking while you're asleep or driving your car. <laughs> I don't know if anybody drives their car while they're asleep. It seems like some people do. Kind of a dangerous thing. So your your body automatically shuts off. You know the movement. So you, when you're having a dream, if you're running or, or walking or talking, uh, you don't go anywhere. And that's probably that's probably a uh, Pretty smart thing, don't you think? <laughs> you know, you're sitting at Walmart at three in the morning and the doors are closed and locked and, and, and you you're dreaming you're in the store, but you're not really in the store. So you just your legs keep walking with your face against the locked glass of, of Walmart. You think you're in there. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, my toast popped up but it wasn't it wasn't browned or it wasn't toast it was still the same stupid bread that i put in there (laughs) and so i'm like the bread that i put in the toaster and like what's wrong with my toaster i've had this thing for 25 years and and i tried it again and again and it just wouldn't uh it wouldn't toast my bread so i turned on my oven and put it in there and then forgot my toast is in the oven and burned it up Uh, So I guess I'm gonna have to buy a toaster. All right, the reason I'm bringing that up is there's this thing called the scientific method. I think way back over 400 years ago, that famous astronomer we all talk about, Galileo, come up with the scientific method. And, um to try and figure things out especially the motions of planets and 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 stars and you know they didn't have that great of telescopes back then so you had to have a pretty good mathematical thing going on to figure out the orbits of planets and what they were doing when they'd rise and set so galileo came up with a scientific method what is that i think there's seven steps in the scientific method and you know it's the same way how how am I gonna figure out, and I have friends that do this. I, I have a couple friends. I'm actually gonna take my toaster over to them. I have one friend. He's a pretty good sort of pseudo-scientist. And he's gonna come up with some steps on how to fix my toaster better than I would, would do. Let's see if I can remember uh, the seven steps that I learned way back in my freshman year in college. <laughs> we we, we, we kind of use all these, you know, some of these steps when we try to figure out problems. So, you know, it's not like the scientists is like, these are real technical. They can be technical, but there's seven basic steps. And I'm trying to remember, I think the observation, you know, the, to- the toaster's broke, uh, uh, the to- it, or it doesn't toast toast. It works, but it's not the little uh, heating element inside the toaster isn't working. So, so why, why, why is that? So that's observation and question, I think. And then you do a little research. Uh, maybe you look it up on the internet and figure out what could be the problem with my toaster. And then you form what's called a hypothesis. Well, maybe because it's 25 years old and you drop, I dropped it a few times. <laughs> One time I got uh, mad at it uh, because it would only make, you know, do, do the, 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 Warm toasted bread occasionally, so I put it under my bed and left it there. And I never bought another one, and I pulled it back out, it seemed like it was working better. So I formed a hypothesis age, you know, maybe that's why it doesn't work. Maybe I need to just buy a new toaster, but I'm too cheap, so I'm going to get my friend to put a new heating element in there because he has several toasters. He's kind of into collecting toasters. <laughs> Uh, And then, you know, you start to test things with experiments, you know, figure out why it isn't working and uh, analyze your data uh, and then report the conclusions as to why, you know, the toaster isn't working. So there's all these, so there's basic seven steps in uh, the scientific method. Then I'm gonna look at something that Galileo sort of, some scientists say, screwed up on in the scientific method let's see oh let me have some coffee here yeah i gotta stay awake the sun still hasn't come up the stars are still out which which i'm gonna get to another little story here outside the realms of 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 toasting my bread (laughs) god so Out of all these methods that uh, Galileo came up to to sort of solve problems with what we now, we we credit him I think basically with coming up with the scientific method, he left out something that's really important. That's called human consciousness, why we think. It's kind of a fuzzy area. So he kind of bracketed out the, the problem with human consciousness. Why are we, why do we think? Why are we conscious? And that today, oh, let's see, back in 1998, two prominent scientists, neuroscientists, I, I can't remember this guy, I wish I could remember their name. Uh, let me think here. Uh, let's see, I think Christoph Koch was one and David uh, Chambers, Chal- Chalmers, I don't remember. So back in 1998, 1999, they made a bet with each other that science would solve the problem of consciousness. You know, come up with an object, an objective reason why we're conscious, uh, and um, you know, with the scientific method. And I think it was uh, Chalmers that said, uh, "I'm not probably saying his name wrong. I'm glad Murky isn't here to correct me." <laughs> you know, they're going Are we gonna be able to to finally explain the phenomenon of consciousness that Galileo left out of his? Out of the scientific method because you know it's 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 a huge philosophical problem uh neurological problem you know can we why are why are things conscious why do we think and uh so the the bet was i'm going to buy you a case of wine if we do solve the problem in 2023 well it's 2023 so this is all over the news right now uh did they solve the problem of why we're conscious why while why anything's conscious what does consciousness mean no they didn't solve the <laughs> problem they're not even close actually so i i think chalmers who said we wouldn't and then Koch said we would uh chalmers won a case of wine you know and it's it's a friendly little thing uh can we do it can science figure this this incredible question out uh and so uh and i, I think i'm going to go into the detail about this a little bit. This is not going to be a long broadcast. Um, just because it's the 4th of July and I want to do something else other than be on the radio today. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 1600s, Galileo, come up with the scientific method, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, and then this thing that uh, some people call Galileo's er- error. What, why, why are we conscious? Well, conscious. Why are, why are things conscious? What is thinking? Uh, and, and let's just leave that out, okay? <laughs> so, and pretty, pretty wise decision because uh, for over 400 years, we've been de- debating back and forth just, you know, what, what, that, what consciousness is. And why is that even important this morning? I don't even know if I'm fully conscious. I think I'm still half asleep, which brings up something else. Nell Seth. I'm not sure when he did this. It was recently. Is a neuro, uh, oh, is a neuroscientist. So he he he, he studies the the processes and properties of consciousness. We do know that some people do not have mental images. They can't form mental images, objective images in their mind. It's called a, sort of the silence of the mind. It's, it's it's a sort of seen as a. I not know, not a defect, but it's a, it's a problem. And and so there's different, we know people are born without the ability to formulate, uh, set solid mental images. Uh, and it's, it's, I can't even remember what that's called. Um, and I, I, I don't have, anyway, there's people where their, their thought processes are a lot different than what we, a so-called normal person. And, uh, uh, and then there's people that have amnesia, that can't remember certain situations uh, in the long term and even the short term. And uh, there's people that are sort of half-conscious like me right now, <laughs> still trying to wake up and I'm on the radio. In between stations, in between everything, in between being conscious and not conscious. Neil Seth, not, that, that sounded like Smith, Anil Seth, S-E-T-H, come up with this term called... C- that called controlled hallucination. That when we're conscious, we have this thing going on called controlled hallucination. I'm, I'm trying to get this straight. Whoops. So basically, uh, when you're dreaming, and I, you know, I talk about this all the time because I have real, uh, a real powerful recall for, for dreams. All different kinds of dreams: nonsense dreams, repetitious dreams, and then what I call the narrative dreams, which I, which have been going on for since I've been a little boy. Or I visit cities and realities, and I'm someone else, totally someone else. And I have this whole life—a family, or not a family, or I'm a professor at a college—and I keep revisiting these dreams, and they keep adding to themselves through the years. And you and I have—I can't tell. I can't tell until I wake up that I've been dreaming, because that reality's so set. You're breathing, the sun's there, or the moon's there. You have a car, you have a family, you're talking. This may go on for hours and for, for years. And the complexities of that reality continue to multiply. So when I wake up, I'm like, oh my God, that's a dream. So that, you know, I've, and this isn't a fascinating topic and in in-between stations, the butterfly and the man dreaming he's a butterfly or is a butterfly dreaming he's a man and, uh, you know, this whole thing. And, and, and of course that, that can deal with states of consciousness. It's also about the progressive levels of, of the afterlife. You know, we're, we're We're sort of (coughs) a caterpillar crawling around humans, and then we become something else. Uh, And and the uh, the the uh, the Phaedras, the Phaedras by uh, Plato, Socrates, it talks about this. So we evolve into this incredible being. With this is where the whole concept of angel wings comes from, with wings. And this compared to the cicada, which is this. uh, Creature that lives underground sometimes as long as 13 years or more of its life and then comes out for this very short time and gets to this body and flies all around. Pretty pretty amazing. Just a short time. So it, it evolves into this fantastic creature that can fly. It's been underground most of its life. That's compared, mortality is compared to being underground. You've got this. You, you only, you're only living a half-life. And then you emerge into this... Flying fantastic flying creature, this butterfly. So you know, that's part of that. But in this conversation today or whatever it is <laughs> tonight this morning. God, I wish I had my toast with hot toast with butter on <laughs> I, I I have attempted just to go out and buy a toaster or get one from the used store. Why did that thing break? You know, I used to have a name for that toaster. Frank the Cooter? Something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Hold on. All right. So, Anil Seth came up with this thing called, this neuroscientist called controlled hallucinations. So, the thing supposedly we're not doing in our dreams, which I, I, I will argue with him, we're not comparing, you know. So, the objective reality that's out there is that, um, we're not seeing it that way. Our, our, the, the dynamics of our mind, the dynamics of the dream are centered around our personal feelings, our personal dynamics and physical makeup in our brain. Each of us think differently. Each of us dream differently. But the 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 difference between being conscious and unconscious is when you're unconscious, supposedly, and I, I, I sort of will argue with this because I'm doing this in my dreams. I, I'm doing the same thing I'm doing in my conscious. You're, you're comparing... Uh, you're comparing, uh, so lucid dreaming, that means you're aware that you're dreaming. There's all kinds of definitions to lucid dreaming now. It's, it can be complex, but you're aware of, of your dreams. And, 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 and it's in that dream state, the arena is entirely convincing. You don't know you're uh, dreaming until you wake up. So the thing we're doing when we're conscious is we're, con- we're, con- we're continually comparing different states uh, of mind, different things that we're observing. That's a tree, that's the sun, that's a car going by. I'm talking to my wife or my girlfriend or she's talking to me. Are you talking to your boyfriend? Uh, he has his same old blue eyes and his brown hair. And, uh, and, and you're comparing things. And there, a, a bird just flew by in the tree outside the window. Uh, And so you're comparing. You you, you sort of have this baseline of knowing that you're conscious and knowing this is normal. You know, this is the normal baseline to how you how you see things, and that that's consciousness. So what what uh, what Seth is saying in in our dreams is we don't do that. We're not comparing different states of mind. Like, why does my tongue have have teeth on it? Why do I have four eyes in this dream? Why 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 is my toast not toasted? Oh, it's not a dream. And taste it tastes good. I don't. <laughs> I don't. So the term uh, cl- controlled hallucinations when you're uh, uh, conscious awake is you're comparing different states of, of mind of what what's going on outside of you. And you know when you can't do that, then you have things like Alzheimer's and brain damage, and and you're, something's not quite right supposedly. So that's what you, you you're not doing that basically in your dreams, which I argue with. Anyway, that's controlled hallucinations. That you and so what that means is the hallucination part is we're not really seeing what's out there objectively. That each person, each mind, each experience, culture, whatever, you're you're interpreting that. the the, the world is different to each and every individual. And that makes things really complex because the way your brain you know the way your physical makeup is genetically uh if you've had you know some kind of a defective disorder in there or your brain's not working right um it's it's a or, or it is and you're you know you like music uh that your friend doesn't like um you like a tree or a flower your friend doesn't like or you both like the same thing uh you fall in love with a with this woman that, that your friend doesn't thinks particularly beautiful, but you do. And there's, you know, we have these personal experiences and it turns out that's very dynamic and it's very complex. And it's hard to use the scientific method on that. And I bre- keep bringing this up. Things like emotions, love, anger, um, are are, are belong to us. Uh, and you know, there's not going to be probably anybody else ever like you again. You have this very unique way of seeing things, and you, you kind of have your own book. You have your own poem. You have your own way of expressing who you are. And I think this goes right down to, to very minute things like like small animals and small life forms. They're having these experiences too, although you know, maybe on on a different level. A dragonfly sees the world different than, differently than we do. Probably just as complex. You know, I don't I don't think we're you know, I I keep saying, I I don't think we're unique. I think we like to think we're unique and we use the human mind to sort of set a baseline for everything else and I I don't think that's fair. And the more I observe wild animals, wolves and coyotes, spend a lot of time with them, the more convinced I am that there's not that much difference other than we're different beings. We have different sorts of experience. So what is that experience you're having? What, What does religion mean? Is it really that collective or is it more personal? And I, and I think what we're finding out the more we look at this and the more science looks at it and, and just the way we look at it is, is our experience is, is really highly personal. Uh, and um, that makes it, uh, that doesn't, it's, it's, it's hard to quantitatively measure emotion, to measure a personality, to measure a psychology. I mean, there's things we can do, but consciousness itself is this incredibly powerful. Uh, Miracle that evades uh, into the 21st century scientists is still a problem. It's still something that Galileo avoided. Although I think it's getting uh, Closer to maybe figuring it out. I am not sure about that So um, it's it's a miracle and it's 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 still a, a great mystery and uh, And 400 years later, we're still we're still perplexed by why are we conscious conscious? Why are we alive and and why do we have these the, the desires we have, why 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 do we even get angry? Why do we don't get angry? Why do we have pleasure? And you know that's that's an interesting thing that neuroscientists have come up because seemingly the the pleasure principle is is less and less when the when things are disorganized when there's a sort of chaotic element introduced into our life, it becomes uh, sort of. A pain, more of a painful-filled experience when we can't get organized. You know, when our when our thoughts are broke up, and having experienced uh, uh, and I've talked about this before, the powerful hallucinogenic called doctora, Um Yeah, that divides up your mind. It gives you this sort of uh, in the little pieces, and it fragments your thought. Uh, times disorganized. You have this this powerful amnesia. Uh, you, you don't know who you are or what you are and you can't think straight you can't because you know I, I think when I had this experience and, and I was actually uh, in a hospital for three weeks after this trying to get my my nor- normal state of mind back where I can at least have uh, time recall you know this is two o'clock this is three o'clock and uh, the sun goes down and comes up I, my my time was completely divided up and segmented into this bizarre uh state of mind where i was lost in i couldn't even figure out what present time period was what past memory was what future was i it was just this it was a very terrifying feeling i probably similar to alzheimer's uh and i went through this for three weeks uh it's and you, and i realized that we have to have things kind of organized we got, we kind of got to know hey this is your house uh that's you in the mirror uh it's this is the date, uh, or at least it's daytime, and these are my friends, uh, and this is my family, this is my culture, and this is my my car, and, uh, you know, we have to know those things. Those are really basic things that we take for granted, and especially, you know, when someone gets Alzheimer's or has brain damage, those things are lacking to some degree. It begins to be very confusing, and that's, and that's where things get less and less enjoyable, when we can't when we can't, if our if, if we're too sad or or too depressed, uh, it really messes up uh, our our supposed timeline. Our supposed like you know this is the baseline. I need to be happy at least a little bit. And in the in the hallucinogenic experience, uh, you can kind of lose track of that. You, it, um, things change substantially. Uh, and uh, even even uh, in anyway, I. This is just a short broadcast today. I, I, I want to kind of go over this experience uh, that um, three of us had uh, last night in the uh, in the Painted Desert or on the edges of it in a place called Wapaki National Monument. There's some really beautiful, ancient, uh, we call them ruins, I call them just uh, ancient villages because... A lot of indigenous cultures consider the ancestors to still be there. That they're sort of in their own time period, and that uh, insects and plants and the manifestation of life is still taking place in that ancient village. And it might even be a different dimension. They're still alive, so it's not a ruin. It's not a, a and that's a that's an interesting one too because ruin goes back to this whole Celtic thing. You know, that's writing in ruin writing in ancient ways. So I don't know, you might be able to mess around with the word rune and say, well, maybe it is a rune in that term. You know, terminology and words can be deceptive. Or, or you know, we use them in certain ways in cultures and languages. Anyway, we're by this this ancient uh, two, maybe three-story Pueblo. It's not all there, but it's built on a volcanic, uh, this, vulcan- this old volcano. I don't know how, but it's built on the top of that. They built, they built this fantastic three-level Pueblo I think. It was three levels. There's only like one levels left up there on top of this uh, basalt rock that was once the top of I think a volcano and it's surrounded on and and around on those, these little hills, these ancient volcanic flows, where other ancient houses and villages were built. This is an amazing place. You can still see this if you go to a place like uh, Acoma in New Mexico. They built this um, beautiful village, uh, long ago, thousands, thousand years or more, on on top of this uh, inaccessible um, rock face, that cliff face, uh, a salt rock. A thousand feet up there is this amazing village called Acoma, and they build a Pueblo there, and I think originally it was two or three stories, I don't know, but, and uh, the Hopis still have this at a place, at an ancient village called Walpi, because uh, these older pueblos were, you know, changed and redesigned over the years and uh, I think Taos has an intact multi-level pueblo still. That was really common a long time ago, especially before the Spanish came and messed everything up. <laughs> uh, so we're we're by one of these ancient uh, villages that used to be a place where there are a lot of people lived. Uh, so uh, this whole Place at Wapaki has all these amazing, fantastic, ancient ruins and parentheses there. And, and it's just an amazing place. I've been going there for 26 years now, running corridors of this place called Wapaki and, and walking and spending time with my dogs and, and, and discovering things that uh, a lot of people don't know yet about. You know, you, I just walk around, I go out. 20, 30 miles and I see things that either people have forgotten about or have never seen. But these tribes, Hopi clans, know about some of these places. They're very sacred. And this does have a Hopi name this time, ancient ancient village nearby. and You get this fantastic view of the desert, especially as the sun sets in the west side over all these volcanic processes. Uh, these 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 hills and mountains that were Ancient volcanoes and some not so ancient, and they'll erupt again. I've talked about that. So you can see the sun setting over the desert and these amazing uh, hills with volcanic craters. Some of them very deep. In the middle of them, or, or the entire mountain is blown out, and there's a hole there. But it makes for an unusual sunset. You know, the, the shadow, the silhouette of this beautiful, dark desert uh landscape uh with this intense red as the sun goes down and then after it goes down uh the stars start to come up Uh, this night venus came up and different constellations came up and it was just it was amazing and then we kind of remember you have this beautiful uh breeze blowing uh, off the desert you can see uh you can see the san francisco peaks in the distance It's huge just vast mountain complex it's just beautiful and it's kind of like this uh, intense subdued neon blue and it looks like because there's a lot of dust and there's there's fires in the distance it looks like the mountain range is floating this blue huge ship of earth is floating up into the the reds and oranges of the sunset and as it's as the sunset and the colors of the sunsets start to disappear it becomes more and more intense blue with these with this volcanic range in the west it's kind of black uh, because you can't see the details because it's getting darker and darker and then out out there you can see the painted desert these these deep red cliffs this is still one of the most isolated places in the entire United States I've been there (laughs) there's no roads there's a few hogans you know the Dene live in there and there's, there's, there's a few roads, but it's still largely uh, kind of, I want to put unknown in parenthesis because a lot of tribes, uh, especially, I have friends that are uh, Navajo, that have cornfields in there and some Hopis. Uh, so there are people that know it, but it just doesn't have a lot of roads. And, it, it's, and if you look at this uh, in satellite ways, it's just very isolated. There's places like Blue Canyon and other canyons, these, these deep sandstone canyons, Deep, seductive, beautiful, uh, some of them are two and 3,000 feet deep and just wide enough for two to stretch your arms out. And then and there's this clear waters running through the canyon. There'll be a, the wind blowing and a beautiful green uh, cottonwoods cottonwoods are like aspens you can hear and they're related to aspens uh, genetically and you can hear you know the song in the cottonwood tree or an aspen tree And you, if you've been in the mountains you know how aspens are at night in the starlight they just make this beautiful music same with cottonwoods so in the desert you have these deep in the hot desert you have these deep red rock canyons that are just virtual paradise with deep clear pools of water you can swim in and have fish in them uh, and you have a uh, animals living in there like some of the some wolves and coyotes and you have these beautiful eagles in there and, and, it's, and It's and there's not roads sometimes you have to like go down in the canyon and walk for miles to To get anywhere and and there's just a fantastic uh, These are you know, my friend Katie Lee called these uh, Skin-like fleshlights the flesh of the earth, you know Navajo sandstone is this, this seductive beautiful rock that's just smooth and it curves and flows like a naked human body. In fact, some people have called these canyons erotic, uh, sexual, um, dreamlike, surreal. And I spent a large amount of my life in, the, in, the, in what's called the canyon country up in, in southern Utah in Northern Arizona and what in the Glen Canyon area. So I, I know this kind of rock really well and it's amazing and it can drive you crazy because it's so beautiful. So there's all of that out there in the Painted Desert, and you know, this is nighttime, and, and so that region out there that we're looking at in the east is, is still unknown. It's still kind of like the surface of the moon, and that's what I'm gonna bring up is the moon, the moon. So we're looking out there, the three of us, and we're by this ancient uh, pueblo up on this rock face, and, and this beautiful, cool, sort of warm winds blowing off the desert floor. And it's just this divine moment. The stars are getting more and more intense. And the Milky Ways above us, the Pueblo is built on the zodiac. I mean consciously, deliberately built on the zodiac. So as the sun rises and the moon rises and the stars come up, and all this you know, all this beautiful celestial these celestial events happen, they they rise and they set. Over the seasons and the se- you know, the Hopi people, the and the ancient hi His- Hisatsumon, which is related to all the ancestral pueblo and to an extent the Dine Navajo people, uh um, you know, had a very complex astronomy going on. These these people really knew their seasons and they knew exactly when they happened. They knew about uh, celestial events, uh, they knew about uh, exploding stars and they knew about and a lot of this is documented in not only the oral histories, but on these things we call petroglyphs, tuveny writing on the walls. Uh, and the clans know about these. You know, people in the clans have a history of, we, we wrote this down, we, we recorded this on the cliffside. these migrations. So it's, it's, and then when you get down into uh, Mexico and into southern Mexico and into South America, like you go to Picchu uh, they had solar temples. These guys really were very exact, very intense astronomers for not having computers. And, and there, these villages and these places like in Pusco, the Temple of the Sun, are all built uh, in very exact ways. Uh, and, and, and they're very mindful of astronomy, of seasons. So um, we, we have one of these places behind us. Like two or three thousand years ago, there were a lot of people living up there. Uh, not a lot like we have now, like thousands, but there you know, there might have been 40 or 50 people living up there. And that, and these people knew what they're doing. You can go up there and still see, put the Pueblo together and see, my God, this is an incredibly complex and beautiful place with these little windows. And the windows are actually strategically built into the Pueblo, what, what windows are left, that you can look out that window at a certain time of year and see this star or this, this celestial event, the lunar event, you can see the sun at a certain time, and, and it's, it's amazing. So, so it's here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, and we're looking out, and, and, you, and it's, it's, it's... The clarity of the air out there is so unusual. It's just like mind-boggling how, how well you can see things at night. You can hear the coyotes in the distance. We're playing a beautiful, I don't know, Brian Eno, Harold bug music, something like that. As, as we're watching all this stuff happening, it's amazing. You know, we're not on the computer. We're, this is a real life physical event. And we look out and, and we have our two, we have two canines with us, uh, incre- two incredible canines. And I just, I don't know if a canine's normal. My little dog, Mechka Gunner, hurt my, My best friend, my buddy Gunner, hurt his leg on on the run. That's something I can talk about this later. That's going to become a problem. So um, he's not there, unfortunately. So we have this incredible, uh, these beautiful two dogs. One's kind of healer-like. has several breeds, but it's just a beautiful dog. And my little dog Mishka, who's a red healer, and they're 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 enjoying this they're feeling the beautiful wind you know it's coming off the desert they can see the stars they can hear the coyotes um, there's just this it's just this beautiful moment that you can only get being in the moment being in reality you're not going to get this off a computer game or simulated artificial intelligence this is real life and it's like it's as good as it gets so we're looking out there in the distance in the Painted Desert, and there's all these deep canyons and these mesa tops out there, uh, and you can sort of see the edges of them and, and, and the, uh, ju- the big juniper, ancient juniper trees on the top and, and pinyon pine and occasional animal running across the top, and they're ju- it's just an unreal beautiful. And it, during the day, and even to an extent at night, there's these fantastic colors out there, and you can see, oh, 150 miles? That's how. That's how good. The, that's how clear the air is, and especially if you're on top of something, you can see further. And I. And sometimes in the day, if you're up high enough, you can actually see the curvature of the Earth. Yeah, that's that. It's it's an amazing place because it's bare. It's open. It's not covered with vegetation. You can see for a long ways, and you and you can gauge the distance with mesa tops and mountains and and, and if you're high enough, you can see into New Mexico, which is 200 miles or more. So it, it's still clear. It's night, all these stars are above us. And we look out there, and I've looked out there hundreds of times. I, I kind of know this place. I can walk it at night if I if I need to. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm not gonna get lost in a place like this. Because it's, it's very familiar to me. So we look out and we see this, this amazing, we see uh, what looks like a city. All these bright lights. But it's, it's far away, and it's shimmering, and it's, it's unusually colored. And I'm like, well, that's, that's what city is that? I have, wait, that, is that Loop on the Navajo Reservation, which is a little town with not too many people in it? Uh, and It's on the edges of, of the um, Diné Reservation and Hopi. So I'm thinking, well, maybe we can see Loop, which is like 45, 50 miles away doesn't have a lot of lights a few lights and some houses but i've never seen it this way you know? and, and i'm like well, wait. "What? wait why can we see it like this and it starts shimmering you know and it's just this amazing um experience we're having it's kind of it's kind of mystery and, and and it gets redder and more and more intense and and then we're like it looks almost like a like a section of New York City, or, or, or a, uh, a petroleum plant—you know, these, these these big plants that process oil—are kind of beautiful, if, you know, in terms of the lights at night. If you see in the distance with the steam and smoke coming out, and, uh, it's it's something extraordinary. extraordinary. And we're, we're like, "What is that?" And I'm like, I, "I've been out here hundreds of times, and I've never seen that." They just make a new city. You know, Luke doesn't have a lot of lights and it's in the middle of this dark spot in the reservation. I mean, you can drive for another 50 miles and not see another light. I mean, maybe an occasional Hogan or something if they have a fire going or if they decided to put in a little light. There's a few families out there, but it's largely completely dark. For for a good hour or more, just driving at 70 or 80 miles an hour, you're not gonna see any lights. So there's just, island of lights out there is getting more intense and more intense and it's redder and redder and we're, we're trying to figure out what is this what is it out there and it starts to change and shift and move uh, and change direction and we're like well, what, what's going on here? what are we and it seems to be getting closer and moving farther away and you can see these very strange details just not sure, is it a UFO? I mean, we actually contemplated that. <laughs> so is it the supposed UFO flying saucer out there that landed in the middle of the desert? It's just pretty unusual. And then, you know, and then we have this this music playing softly uh, off of one of the cell phones. We, there was only one cell phone. The rest of us didn't have cell phones, I don't think. I don't remember. And then there's this really bizarre you know, with all the stars and everything, there's a few clouds. There's this bizarre, blood red glow on the horizon, yeah. and, and it's it's weird looking. And below is this intensely bright city or processing plant or whatever it is, or, or you know, alien ship out there. It looked more like a like a, a huge mothership flying, you know, flying saucer. It was that bizarre and beautiful. Blowing and reflecting, and and you can see segments of the of, of, of the lights coming on and going off. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? You know, and, it's, and we're in the middle of nowhere basically. And there's this this shining dream city, <laughs> and 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 so and the and the celestial event the, the and the stars, the sky is getting is turning this kind of blood red. You know, with this blue cosmic glow that you have with the Milky Way and all the stars, you can still see the San Francisco peaks and the snow at the top, Tokyo, uh, I guess I hope you say, probably not asleep. the sacred mountain, it. it's still floating in the, in the dark of night, it's a huge massive mountain behind us, but we're looking towards the Painted Desert, you see these mesa tops in the silhouette and the sky above is this weird blood red. And then what we realize is oh my god, it's it's the full moon. This the full moons coming up over the 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 landscape of all these mesas that go on for hundreds of miles over these deep canyons, this this what it's going to become this fantastic, huge moon is coming up, and this is like five minutes after we've seen this kind of city. This this, and that's it. Start that city starts to disappear, and this huge, beautiful moon comes up. One of the most beautiful moonrises I've ever seen. And because of the smoke in the air, and uh, and because of the the optical illusions, you see this giant moon, and it's it's coming up, and you can see the details, of, almost see the craters on the moon. You know, we don't have any telescopes or anything, and you can see the face of the moon. You know, this 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 haunting face. You know, I like to say it's singing a song. It looks like this moon singing a song. You can see its eyes and the eyebrows and profile in this open mouth. And and it's 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 weird. It's it's freaky. It's like it's totally like, am I in a dream? Is this real? And then this beautiful desert breeze is blowing. And, and and it's and this orange blood red moon comes up. And we have this experience that's just you can't verbalize it. You gotta be there. And it just it just overtakes everything else consciously It says, "Hey, I'm the moon, and I'm part of, the, of of this beautiful desert sky you're looking at, and I've been around for a really long time, right? And, 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 and watch this, folks, and it's just like it just overtakes your whole being. This fantastically beautiful, huge moon rise. and um, so it goes back to what I how I how I opened this up." Uh, this this uh, broadcast. We're, we're we're almost to the end here. Um, what do we experience personally? Because each of us there were having this amazing event, but it was different to each of us. And then uh, my daughter, uh, she's she's with me, my 30 year old daughter, and her and her boyfriend. And he's kind of an intellectual uh, himself, uh, a talented artist. My daughter is well-educated and she analyzes things you know almost agnostic both of them they know something's there but they're very rationally minded and we're talking about and then you got these two beautiful canines and they're having their own experience of the moon and the stars and the beautiful song of the coyotes they're having they're having their experience it's totally different than us. so each of us are having as we talk a different kind of experience but it's collectively sort of got the sameness to it and we're all just, for lack of a word, blown away. I mean, we could have been high on mushrooms and in smoky pot, which we weren't. But the experience is that intense uh, out, out here in the desert. The, the re- reality of that moment uh, uh, is so fantastically beautiful that, you know, you're, we're never going to forget it. But each of us are having our own experience where each of us are conscious. And I'm sure the coyotes that we can't see that are you know, making this beautiful song out there and all the other life forms that are out in this immense, unreal, divine desert, um, they're having experiences. And it's just this whole interesting way of, uh, of where does it stop? Where does, that, uh, where does Where does that experience stop? I mean, how complex does it get? How beautiful is it? Could you, you could spend lifetimes writing about what's, what's going on there. You could, was that the city of the moon that we have seen You know, this mystical city that some people talk about in the desert, particularly when it's in the Middle East as a soldier. The Bedouins would talk about the, this lunar city, this miraculous city that, that you see sometimes when the moon comes up. And if you can get to the gates of the, of the city, you can go into this this place where the moon lives and the moon people live this sort of divine heavenly place it's it's the the gates of the moon open up and you go into her beautiful celestial city (laughs) i i mean i heard bedouins talked about this i'm not sure how that fits into their mythology because it's not a culture too familiar with like the Zuni and Hopi where you know I go and live and spend time. Uh, I was only there for a short time unfortunately during the war but enough that I got some friends and talked to people. City of the Moon. Uh, so was the gateways open This? did we actually see the, the city of the the city of the moon on the planet earth? I don't know. Well let's close out this um, this broadcast so you can enjoy your 4th of July and uh and so happy fourth of july or oh, if you're patriotic or not patriotic i'm sometimes in the middle and sometimes i'm very unpatriotic because of the war i am and sometimes i i don't know i don't know love you uh and wherever you are murky i, I got a feeling you're getting up right now and uh, maybe you have moon eyes <laughs> all right so have a great fourth of july this is david hartley with in between stations radio Signing off the air, but first a beautiful song, and let's fade out. City of the Moon. Consciousness, unconsciousness, dreams. What's this fantastic experience we're having called being alive? Yeah. All right. See ya. Delta Echo This is in between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA.